Hello, everyone, and welcome to In This Economy, the podcast where young people from Zimbabwe and around the world discuss how they are navigating life in the current economic circumstances. With me, your host, Kim Nyajeka. So this week, we will be discussing a topic that I am very passionate about, and that is accessing education. I come from a long line of educators. Both my grandparents are retired primary school teachers, and I have a number of relatives on both sides of my family that have taught in primary right up to tertiary institutions. So the value of school, of learning, of all of that has been ingrained in me from a very, very young age. And to watch the degradation of the education system in Zimbabwe over the last 20 or so years has been heartbreaking, to say the least. So my guest and I are going to be discussing some of the labor injustices teachers have faced as civil servants and how this has negatively impacted the education system, especially for a country whose government boasts of its population having such a high literacy rate. Um, what has happened, the decay of the education system is is just shocking and really really quite sad i also really believe that a lot of the moral decay that we see in our society as a nation is due in a large part to the fact that people have been unable to go to school for a really long time at every level of school the education system because of the economic circumstances has been pretty haphazard unpredictable inconsistent and just overall yeah but we get into all of that in the episode um and i would also love to hear your comments and your views and um also just sharing some of your experiences some of my happiest memories were in primary and secondary school so i'd love to hear about that from you too as well um please do not forget to follow the podcast on social media at in this economy podcast on instagram and follow me your host at kamia jack on twitter and yeah all right, so for today's episode, we'll be discussing teaching in this economy, and I have the great, 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 great privilege of um, being able to sit down with the head of the Amalgamated Rural Teachers Union of Zimbabwe. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone? <laughs> uh, thanks, Kim, for having me. I'm Obet Masaraore, the National President of Amalgamated Rural Teachers Union of Zimbabwe. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. Pleasure. Um, obviously, the issue of the incapacitation of teachers in Zimbabwe has been going on for uh, since I've been young, since I can remember. Um, but I thought it would just be interesting to discuss um, how with the economy, where everything is right now, and I guess all the political things that are happening and that tend to influence um, basic human rights groups. Uh, there's no way you can separate the politics from what is going on. So I thought that would be interesting to explore and discuss. So yeah, you're ready to go? Uh, yeah, great. Perfect, thank um, you. Um, so my first question for you today is, what is the Amalgamated Rural Teachers Union of Zimbabwe? Yeah, this is a union initially which was meant to represent rural teachers, mm -hmm. but which has since metamorphosized to become a union which represents all teachers. Uh, we have uh, associate members of almost 37,000 teachers uh, who are associate members. By associate members, we refer to teachers who subscribe to us ideologically, but they don't pay any subscriptions to us. But we also have then uh, those who subscribe financially and ideologically, and that those are now numbering around 7,000 or so. Uh, but basically, the union fights for proper education. We fight for inclusive access to education in this republic. So we are left-leaning. Uh, we believe that everyone deserves a chance in the classroom. Mm. 
And so what is the ultimate vision and goal of the union? Is it just for teachers' rights or reformation of the education system overall? Our bigger vision really is to see teachers themselves enjoying uh, their labor justice, uh, enjoying labor justice, but all the same, uh, we also want to see each and every child in this republic accessing quality education. And that can, those two are intertwined because when our teachers are enjoying labor justice, the morale is right and they are giving their all to our students. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, recently the president announced mm -hmm. that um, the teachers salaries will be reinstated to the pre-2018 levels by the end of the year. Um, but this just speaks to the level at which teachers have been, have been incapacitated, not just with the pandemic, but with the economic situation. Um, in your view and in your experience, what has been the worst impact of teacher incapacitation in Zimbabwe since maybe 2018, for example? Yeah, of course, teacher incapacitation has destroyed the classroom. We have lost the classroom. There is no meaning for teaching and learning place in our classroom for a very long time. Uh, teachers have always been on strike, uh, calling for the review of their salaries. Uh, learners eventually are not dropping out because if they are not attended to, they realize that there's no need for to keep on coming to the schools. Mm -hmm. And you will note that we had dropouts of almost 60 percent in Lawai province alone uh, from 2020 to date. Uh, we have over 50% dropping out in Arara province. So this really means that our classroom has been decimated because of teacher incapacitation. But also at the end of the day, even the few teachers who are making efforts to be in the classroom, they're not giving the base that we expect from them. Uh, you even see our learners failed to prepare uh, for the 2021 examinations. We only have around 600,000 learners uh, sitting for examination out of a possible of over 1.2 million. We are the rest, we are losing them out because no one is preparing them for the examinations. Uh, so really when the President of the Republic promises that they will restore uh, the value of teacher salaries to pre-October 2018 value by the end of this year, one, we don't take those promises seriously. We were once promised that those salaries will be restored by January 2021. It was not done. And when we made the follow-up, uh, the government became evasive. Uh, secondly, you will realize that the teachers have lost each individual teacher in Zimbabwe has lost around 24,000 US dollars of income uh, from 2018 to date, from around 2017 to date. Why? Because on average, the government has been stealing over 400 US dollars per month from each individual teacher. If you do the calculations, you will realize that the teachers have lost 24,000 US dollars per teacher. But these teachers are not asking uh, for the government to pay back the 24,000 which are stolen from them. They are simply saying from January 2022, let's now have the restoration of 540. Now, if they are going to give us that 540, maybe at the end of this year or next year, you also understand the inflationary environment. Uh, we see the inflation even in USD context. The, uh, of course, the poverty data line at the moment, if we are doing proper calculations, have already short above the 540. So the 540 is no longer even enough uh, to be able to meet the basic needs of a teacher. But we are demanding this this symbol, this little 540, because we are patriots, we want to give the best to our country, we want to be, give the best to our nation under these difficult conditions. But unfortunately, the ideological uh, orientation of the current government, the ideological attitude of our current government, 
disregard completely uh, the welfare of the teachers, the welfare of the workers. Uh, they don't care even about the civil service of our people. They don't care about our education. Why? Because their sons and daughters do not learn in our schools. Their sons and daughters are not in our public schools. They are enjoying quality education in exotic learning centers, some in Australia, some in America, some elsewhere. Those who are in Zimbabwe are at elite private colleges. They don't feel the pain we feel in these public schools. They don't feel the pain which is felt by parents who are paying uh, tuition fees, but their learners still have to come back home without accessing education. Uh, so it's very unfortunate when we have uh, leaders who are divorced from your lived realities leading you. Mm -hmm. um, I really like what you said about being divorced from the lived realities because I think as Zimbabweans, I've also spoken to guests in previous episodes how the onus has been put on us to take care of ourselves. Um, there's no electricity is an issue, you have to get yourself alternative forms of power. Um, and water, all of those basic commodities, and I think even with education, we've seen a really big increase in those private colleges that don't really give um, children the full schooling experience. You're just sort of, they're there to help people get certifications with the intention of leaving. So we've even put education into our own hands and trying to find the best way to, I guess, get access to, you know, being able to leave, if that's the ultimate goal, or even just to get a certification. You drop out, you go to a private college, but even that's more expensive. Mm -hmm. And I imagine those teachers' needs are not, you know, still being met immediately. Mm -hmm. Does that mean for teachers who decide to go on their own, like, to do, like, extra lessons or open up their own colleges and everything, would the union also account for the, that teaching population as well? Yeah, it's very unfortunate that uh, the government is abdicated from duty and they are now forcing the parents and teachers to yeah. come up with private deals where the two have to agree on maybe a context of extra lessons, a package of extra lessons, a package of private coaching, among others arrangements. Our position as a union is very clear that we have a government which is mandated by the Constitution in Section 75 and Section 81. And further, are mandated through the Education Act to try to remove all forms of barriers to the access of education. So it is the collective responsibility of all citizens to join our civil education campaign, where we then go, both the parent side, the teacher side, we have to engage our government and force them to assume their constitutional mandate. These private arrangements, uh, then at the end of the day, they will entrench inequalities. Why? Because we have a, a poverty of over 7.9 million of our people are living in extreme poverty. How do we expect children coming from those families to be able to make private arrangements with tutors? It's not possible. They're even failing uh, to pay tuition fees. For example, it's minimum as 50. 15 US dollars per, per term, they can't even afford it. Mm -hmm. How are they expected then to be paying teachers incentive packages for them to teach their learners? So it's unsustainable, uh, it's discriminatory, and there's a union which fights for inclusive access to education. We are very clear uh, that our members are discouraged from participating in those activities, and we also discourage parents from participating in the same. Let's get uh, a solution to this crisis. Let's not keep it long for, for long, forever. Uh, we are destroying a whole generation. Of course, we represent teachers who are also doing that. We represent teachers in the private sector, some who join our unions, because we're in amalgamations of, in amalgamation of teachers. Uh, but our policy trust is to have government resolving the education crisis. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, I think this segues nicely into the next question. In your experience, what has been the most effective form of protest action for human rights like access to education in Zimbabwe? What do you think has been the most effective method? 
Yeah, unfortunately, the most effective method then leads to learners failing to access the education. Mm -hmm. And that is very unfortunate. Uh, and our hearts, our hearts really bleed when we take such action, when we simply don't go back to work. Because this is when the, the crisis is exposed for everyone to see. When parents send their children to school and they know there's no teacher and they report back, the same parents will then apply pressure on government to say we need teachers back to the classroom. Uh, this is uh, the protest action which has led to us receiving this small increment which we got of course, the government is trying to restore the value of our salaries in installments, uh, the hundred US dollars which we are said to be said to receive in March. Uh, it was because of that protest action. So we tend to avoid such protest actions uh, because we, our hearts are with the learners. Uh, the teacher is deeply connected with the learner. We want the learner to learn. So you would see us at times when we marched from all the way from Tare to Arari. Uh, we're trying to say for 30, 10 days we are working. We want the world to know. We want the parents to know. We want government to know that there's a crisis in the education sector. Let's deal with it uh, before it explodes. Unfortunately, the government, instead of calling for dialogue, they tend to arrest, yeah. they tend to detain, they tend to torture our people. We went again, we came to, at the office of the, the finance minister for a whole week uh, where we would sit there, not doing anything, just calling at the salary camp, saying, finance minister, let's address this crisis before schools open. Mm -hmm. This is a time when schools are closed, and we are saying we need to take advantage of the school holidays uh, to engage as the teachers and government so that we do not disrupt the calendar. Uh, but unfortunately, our government doesn't really move. Uh, but at the end of the day, dealing with a repressive system like uh, the Zimbabwean government, we need to come up with the creative packages of, of activism. Our tactics should not be uh, the same old tactics where we go to the streets, we know we are going to be beaten up, we go there, we take our people, they are beaten up, they are arrested. We have to try other methods of applying pressure but keeping our comrades safe. We have done that, we have had a pockets out campaign where teachers would simply walk into a classroom with their pocket out. What are we trying to achieve? We are trying to raise awareness uh, of the magnitude of the poverty that the teacher is suffering uh, because of the of under payment because of austerity measures. So this really helps to build the national consciousness around an issue. And we are glad to say at the moment everyone is now using the hashtag save our education CW if it comes to education. Even political parties are adopting, civil societies are adopting it. And we are saying when the nation uh, is now united around the cause, that's victory. Uh, it then takes uh, this nation to apply pressure on the government to address. And then if the government of the day fails to address, uh, that is why we have even further gone a step further and say, let's have a campaign which we say edge vote. Then we are now saying, now that we are agreeing that we need to save our education, mm -hmm. if, if this current government can't address this crisis, mm -hmm. then maybe it's time we also mobilize people to vote for people who are who care about the education for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that like automatically goes into like the political realm and the political sphere. Yeah. Um, and I do understand on the organization's website, it's very clear that you are not a political sort of body at all, but you are just supporting any sort of change that will um, improve the education system. But what I find really interesting is even with the teachers who do not, you know, put their tools down in a form of protest, even when they go to class, especially in the rural areas of Zimbabwe, I, I don't know if you've seen that small documentary that came out of how in some rural areas there is one teacher from ECD to grade seven. So even when teachers choose to um, continue teaching, there's the question of how effective is this, like how, how effective are they teaching methods, 
how are they learning? Are children actually picking, you know, are, are they actually learning things? Are they picking things up? Are they being adequately prepared to go into the world? Mm. Um, so even then, without protesting, mm. the education system is still, uh, it's still in shambles, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we, we have condemned the fakery. We have condemned all those who fake to be teaching, mm. uh, those who pretend like everything is normal. Uh, if you look at our theme for this year, we've said this is a year to revive the classroom. We are not going to revive this, the classroom by pretending to be teaching when we are not teaching. Mm. Uh, let's confront uh, the crisis yet on. Uh, we need uh, to be out there to be engaging our government by any means necessary mm. to force them to realize the urgent need uh, to revive the classroom. We, 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 we are against that. We are even against teachers who go in and log in, then they go home. Uh, they are cheating. They are cheating uh, they themselves. They are cheating the learners. They are cheating the nation. Mm -hmm. They are hoping to destroy a whole generation. Mm -hmm. That is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. If you are not working, you should not log in. Mm -hmm. The government should get the proper statistics that there is no teacher in the schools. Mm -hmm. Let's not paint a wrong picture. This is the same picture that is then presented to parliament that we have visited our schools and 70% of teachers are there in the schools but they are there on paper but they are not delivering any service mm -hmm. so we are uh, this is a disservice to the profession a disservice to the sector uh, and we we don't accept that but you also mentioned the issue around getting involved in politics. Uh, but we, we come to from the perspective of labor, uh, where we really appreciate uh, what uh, Marx then defines as the base and the superstructure. Uh, how and how the base then influence the superstructure, uh, and how the superstructure wants to maintain its control on the base uh, using uh, the laws, using the political power they have. Because basically, when we are looking at the base, we are looking at the economic structure, where we interact economically, right? structure, looking at the laws, religion, and everything. We are very much uh, informed that uh, the relationship with the employer is political. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it boils down to how resources are distributed. Uh, when we demand $540, we are demanding from the national cake. And if we are going to get a portion, then it is a political decision that has to be made. Mm -hmm. uh, and the government really, uh, by the nature being the elites, the ruling elites, who also have their own economic interests, who would try as much as they can to limit what they can give to us. Yeah. And they can give one reason or the other, but we all know that the political decisions, most of them are selfish for them to enrich themselves as a people. We also understand that when we are d discussing austerity measures, we are attacking at the center of their ideological construct, mm -hmm. because it is through their ideology of neoliberalism that they choose austerity measures as a package, to, as a means to run this country. And we are against austerity measures because we don't believe in neoliberalism. That is again political. But we can't be a citizenry which is denied the right to participate in the political discourse of its own nation, because we are citizens before we're teachers and we believe we have every right that is why you see us mobilizing even people to register to vote you will see us mobilizing people to go and register to vote you will see us in the courts of law challenging the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission uh, to allow all teachers who are recruited by the same commission uh, who are or traditionally displaced from voting because they are working away from their police station mm -hmm. we will be asking Zek to make sure that they are allowed to vote mm -hmm. because we believe we are also citizens and no one is going to push us out uh, of the political uh, discourse of this country. Uh, we will remain there, we will remain, continue to add our voices. What we want to do is to 
campaign for a political party. Yeah. We haven't chosen to do that at the moment. But people should know that at some point, if we decide to do that, it's still within, uh, we still have a right to do the same. Mm -hmm. You've got labor across the globe trading and sit down and choose a political party which they think can advance their interests. Mm -hmm. And they go all out to campaign for that party because they know that this is the political party which can be able to address our issues. Mm -hmm. If we decide to do that in future, no one should come and accuse us of being participating in politics. We have the right because we are citizens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so with um, that in mind and, you know, being a human rights defender, labor rights, labor rights defender, labor rights defendants, excuse me, um, what drives you or helps you to overcome the fears of the political system that tend to hold people back from taking similar actions? Yeah, yeah I, I think at the end of the day we have been pushed for too long. Uh, we are pushed, we are pushed, we are pushed until a point in time you say no, but it's time to turn back and fight back. Because from the day one when you are trying to access school, you face the challenges if you are coming from a peasant background where I come from. Mm -hmm. You go the first day you go to school, you have to deal with the fact that you don't have shoes on. You go to the uh, you go to form one, uh, maybe your parents have sold whatever they have and you have to go to boarding. You realize that you still don't have enough in school and people are still laughing at you because you are poor. But then you look at how poverty is constructed. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not like our parents were born lazy. We have seen them working hard day in, day out. Mm -hmm. We have seen that their sweat does not produce anything. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have to break that cycle forever. The permanence of poverty has to be defeated at some point. If we are to defeat it, uh, if we fail to defeat it as a generation, at least we have to lay some foundation. Mm -hmm. So I think we owe it not only to ourselves, but even to future generations. Mm -hmm. And you look at how other people have fought for labor rights to, be, to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, the market massacres, what we remember today is May 1. Mm -hmm. How many people were slaughtered because they were fighting for normal working hours yeah. in the heart of capital in America. Mm -hmm. But those people, they did fight for the normal working hours which we enjoy today. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, if we are going to be trying to preserve our, our mortal bodies, uh, we are destroying uh, the eternity that we would have developed, we should have developed. Uh, because we believe what is more important is to eventually have a nation, an egalitarian society, where each citizen has an, an equal opportunity to access all resources, an equal opportunity to enjoy quality life. Mm -hmm. So we don't do it for ourselves only, we do it for generations to come. That even if we don't enjoy it now, they've laid the foundation. Mm -hmm. So it's really we are inspired by the uh, heroic sacrifices of the past, uh, what other workers have done in the past, how others even went all the way to fight the liberation struggle. They were the workers. Mm -hmm. Joshua Ngomo was leading the working class. How others have to sacrifice their lives, uh, the lives of Morgan Chakra, they were workers. So at the end of the day, we are saying, if you are representing the working class at any point in time in history, you have to put your life on the line to ensure that at least you contribute uh, towards the development of our society, towards uh, the realization of equality. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, that's that's very inspiring, and mm. I just also want to take the opportunity to thank you for the work that you are doing as well, um, because I think there's a lot of fear in our society, and I think everyone 
at different levels feels the frustration but there are a thousand and one reasons not to go outside and protest and you've pointed them out you know if you go out into the streets you're going to get arrested um, some people are at risk of actual torture disappearing we know of all the instances that have happened and I mean when I think back to 2019 for example when they actually shut the internet down um, that was something quite scary because not only was there like unrest but you could not communicate with the outside world no one knew that that's what was what was going on and you know after instances like that people sort of move on you read about what the teachers protest the everything and people kind of move on because i think um what this economic environment has done is made people pretty like tunnel vision as long as i'm okay as long as my family's okay um then we can, we'll just figure it out, we'll make a plan. Um, and I think it does take a certain amount of strength and just a vision of wanting an improvement or wanting a change that um, would drive you to be continuously going out there and fighting for ultimately an ideal um, in a system where it feels almost impossible that I personally cannot imagine anything else. At my age, I think a majority of the time I've had growing up, Zimbabwe has always been struggling. Um, there's always been economic issues. There's always been. It was only for a very brief period when I was um, a child that I can kind of sort of remember things being what somewhat stable. But all I've ever known is inflation. But because like I I I guess I would be used to it. Um, and I've been used to making a plan. I've been used to having to drive to South Africa to go get groceries for the whole family and the church and everything. It's just kind of like ingrained that, yeah, no, guys, we'll make a plan, we'll make a plan. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, honestly, to begin with, uh, there's nothing so unique about it, the current dictatorship we experience. Mm -hmm. Zimbabweans tend to overcomplain. <laughs> you know, dictatorship is a common thing yes. globally. But how others have confronted dictatorship, they have said that we want our nation to be better than this. Exactly. Even our neighbors, they had serious dictatorship. Mm -hmm. But you see that democracy is maturing. They fought for it. Mm -hmm. In Zambia, they are they're still fighting for it. In Malawi, but you can see some improvements. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, I would say there are two groups of people. Mm -hmm. uh, but I am so much uh, angry at the first group. Uh, the group which has seen heaven, I mean that group which is exposed, mm -hmm. which has seen going to other countries and, and realized how our governments can be functional and efficient. Mm -hmm. They've seen how democracy can be efficient and elsewhere, how services can be accessed. So they have seen heaven. They should have more passion mm -hmm. to access it because these people, during the liberation struggles, the people who would go on the forefront were the people who were exposed. Even during the fight in South Africa, those who started really to fight against white dominance, where those who managed to, to travel to America mm -hmm. through scholarships, they would go and sing and be inspired to see a black man enjoying equal rights with a white person. Mm -hmm. When they came back, they fought with more vigor, with more energy mm -hmm. uh, compared to those who were not exposed. But then in Zimbabwe, those who are exposed uh, are the ones who want to preserve themselves more. And I say to myself, maybe we have failed really to pitch the bigger picture for everyone to paint it 
brightly so that everyone can see where we want to go as a nation. Maybe we have not done enough to agitate enough to build enough consciousness. Uh, but obviously, that group should more be more, which is more red exposed. They should be leading us mm. because they know things that we don't know. Yeah. They know our life can be good and we are not. It is not good. But unfortunately, some of them are selfish. They all know that within this difficult economy, they can maneuver and get yeah. things done for their own families. Yeah. We no longer have the likes of Shitepo who would say, hey, "I would leave the bench as one of the best baristas, but still go to the front and fight the liberation struggle." He had access to all the benefits every white person could get. But he would say, no, but we have to fight to have a better society for everyone. But then obviously, regrettably, we have a second group. We have limited options. People who are raised in closed spaces, where poverty is so normal, or where exploitation is so normal, what the best they can do is to explain to the next person. We have seen those closed communities where someone uh, will end up marrying even an 11-year-old child. Yeah. It's normalized in that particular closed space. We have seen those places where someone, we have men of these wives uh, working in the fields to feed the men, and because it's normalized that context. Yeah. So children brought up in those society are difficult to build their consciousness because they are they've accepted that the exploitation is natural and normal. And we should be investing so much energy to try to raise consciousness in those communities. But unfortunately, we don't even have time to engage those communities. Because we still have to engage those who are exposed to try to build their consciousness, mm. which is very unfortunate. But also, most importantly, we do not have to be reckless in our fight. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have to find ways of ensuring that uh, we are not matter, we don't want fight like martyrs, we don't believe in martyrdom, uh, we believe we should all be alive if things are going to change. Mm -hmm. But if we lose lives along the way, it should be regrettable, but we should do anything and everything within our means to protect each and every fighter who chooses to fight for a better Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, no, that's interesting. Um, I have a friend of mine who also works, uh, she works for an NGO, and mm -hmm. when they go to rural areas, I find what you say interesting about the second group that you identify. Mm. Um, she expresses the same challenge because when she would go to the rural areas to talk mm. about women's issues mm. and not even painting it as women's rights in the mm. rural areas, not even um, painting it as we need to challenge child marriage and all mm. of those things, but saying that no, women should have access to sanitary tissues, for example. Mm. But you would find going into some communities, um, they would literally hide the women. They would literally say, no, they don't need to hear anything. If there's anything you need to talk about, mm -hmm. you can talk about it to the chief and mm -hmm. his headman, and we'll relay the message. But at the moment, the women are, are, are busy. Mm -hmm. um, so even when it's um, trying to get the word out there, what you're saying is very true, mm -hmm. that um, we also have communities that don't have exposure, or mm -hmm. there's just things are the way they are, and everyone has just sort of accepted it, maybe out of desperation, maybe out of circumstances. Mm -hmm. But relaying that message can get a bit difficult in those in those communities as well. Mm -hmm. um, so with that in mind, and what you've also said about dictatorship being an issue mm -hmm. everywhere, mm -hmm. um, we see the value of teachers, because if children can go to school, mm -hmm. even if they never get an opportunity to leave their immediate environment, mm -hmm. um, they are in better standing to either, like, they're in a better standing in life to make more if they have more for themselves, if they have, you know, an education. Mm -hmm. But if teachers worldwide um, face similar issues of incapacitation, of course at different levels, mm -hmm. what would you say would be the most beneficial policy change necessary to alleviate these burdens immediately? Immediately. Yeah, obviously at the end of the day, we 
you have to dump austerity missions mm. uh, to begin with. Uh, let's realize that it's very important to invest a lot of resources in social services uh, because this is where we get most of the returns. For example, if you have your health care functional, uh, at the end of the day, healthy citizens are ready to work yeah. to make the economy tick. Mm -hmm. But if you collapse your health care, how do you then expect people to be working and exactly. building the nation? Secondly, you collapse your education. We are always going to uh, build the capacity of your, your human resource, the human resource capacity. Uh, we, have, we are surviving on diaspora remittance at the moment. Why? Because we managed to build uh, human resource capacity and we are exporting some of the best brands in the world. And wherever Zimbabweans are, they are excelling because they got some education. Mm -hmm. But now we, have, we are also trying to cut that. So, Immediately, I think let's dump percent measures, let's invest in our social services. There is no country in this world which has made it through austerity. Yeah. What austerity does is it just simply chokes your economy. Mm -hmm. it's, it destroys the limited capacity you have. And then at the end of the day, but let's go back to education and look at policy interventions. We have given a package which we call ADAPT, which we propose as a, a policy blueprint for education, where the A, we are saying, let's address, yeah. mm. so we are saying, let's adequately fund our education. That's, you look at the Dakar Declaration, you look at the Lynchian Declaration, what we are looking at is a minimum of 20% going towards education, but look at how Martin Kulimule is allocating towards education. Mm. He's giving 12 to 13% religiously every every year uh, and what is of the 12 percent over 80 percent of it to 90 percent goes to wages mm -hmm. so there's nothing which goes directly to the classroom there's nothing to buy learning materials there's nothing to buy the textbooks there's nothing for the internet for electricity for what this is at a time where the shortage of 3,000 schools this is a time where the bulk of our schools don't have electricity, they don't have water. So we are saying let's adequately fund our education by at least adhering to these international standards which we signed to, because we are signatory to the Dakar Declaration. Mm -hmm. And we should be at least uh, giving our education that amount. You even look at the 13% they allocate. Uh, when It's a vote which you have received, but during the course of the year, you go to the ministry, they might even receive just 60%, 70% mm -hmm. of the little. Mm -hmm. That is one issue. Then the deal we are saying, let's democratize uh, and devolve education management. Uh, we have one of the biggest issues where the school, man the education managers in Zimbabwe, uh, most of the times they are picked uh, because of how good they can chant the slogan of a certain political party. It's not because of the of uh, the, the qualifications, the experience. Uh, so it's we don't we don't respect the meritocracy. We we believe that if you are my friend, you can be head. If you support ZANPF better than everyone, you are the school head. You are the district schools inspector. You are. But we are saying let's democratize the education management. Let's have the best brains running our schools, running our districts, our provinces. And saying let's also devolve education management. Uh, by devolved education management, you allow communities to plan for their education. We still maintain it at those that their communities where we should be communities should be allowed to even input into the curriculum. So you have the national template, but the communities are allowed to add that we are in this community we have more of mining in this community. We want our children to learn mining at a very early age. If it's a, in Marang where there are diamonds. There's nothing wrong to train them diamond polishing yes. uh, at primary level, at mm. secondary level. There's nothing wrong in a community where there's a lot of fishing to have a lot of that embedded out you produce and have sustainable fishing in your community. It should be added into the curriculum by the community itself. 
What that does, it also gives a window for local funding for education. Because communities can also raise resources to fund their education. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, you allow them to manage their, their education, then as communities, they can also pool resources together to, to fund their education. You would see not that during the COVID-19 pandemic. Some communities which never had an outbreak of COVID-19 would be forced to close schools by Harari. Harari yeah. would declare that all schools are closed. Yeah. But why are you closing our school? Mm. Listen, we don't have COVID here. Mm. We are not even mobile. No one visits Harari, no one goes anyway. Mm. Why are you forcing us to close our schools? So that is very important to us. So that is why we are saying let's devolve education management. Harare is destroying everything. Harare is destroying this country. If communities are allowed to make decisions on their own uh, with the support of central government, we can have better systems and better education to be particular. But then the other A, we are looking at uh, addressing the curriculum deficits we have as a nation and also addressing uh, continuous learning for teachers. This is very important because the current curriculum really uh, was hardly implemented. Yeah. Uh, a lot of consultation had been done, but at the end of the day, we ended up with a defective document, yeah. which simply which carried on with the same defects from the old curriculum. We, if we are to address them, we have to sit down and address those as a nation. Uh, and that should be urgent. We still have uh, a curriculum which is Kyumbasam, which forces learners to do up to eight, nine subjects, uh, where we would expect specialization. You see specialization on the preamble of the curriculum, but you don't see the, the specialization when you get deep into the curriculum. We still believe in what Nzira Masanga said, that, for example, you don't have to be forcing everyone to be doing simultaneous equations. We don't want those complex mathematics to be imposed on everyone. One. You know, for example, you would need uh, some who do just basic arithmetic yeah. and others to be doing the complex method. Then you allow those who are, uh, everyone to specialize in their field where they are good at. We have good sports, uh, children who are good in sports, but we waste their time forcing them to calculate simultaneous equations. Yeah. Yeah, we should be developing their languages, developing them basic arithmetic, uh, maybe even at secondary level, they should be even be able to be trained in contract law. How do you sign a contract? Yeah. What are your rights when you're signing a contract? That's important for them because it's their area. You know by 18, by 17, they're supposed to be entering into a contract. Mm -hmm. So we have to be preparing our children to be ready for their field of expertise. So we have to. So a lot of issues, uh, even the reflection of the uh, colonialism, is still there in our curriculum. We still have to decolonize the curriculum. So we have to address the curriculum deficits. Also, on continuous learning for teachers. It's so embarrassing that we have teachers who cannot even switch on a computer at the moment, because when they were trained. There were no computers at the moment at that particular uh, historical epoch. So, but now what are we saying? We have to make sure that every teacher every year is access to new knowledge. And how do we do that? The government should support, they should be able to pay. If a teacher says, I want to study this, the government should be able to pay. Unfortunately, currently, if you want to go and study, the government slash your salary. Mm. Then you go there, you pay the fees. Mm. So how many of our teachers are going to continuously upgrade themselves? When we expect the teacher to be the, the most advanced person in the classroom, they should be Ex, the extent of excellence, but it, unfortunately we don't, we don't invest in that. Mm -hmm. We have pushed for the teacher professional council, and at the stage where we are about uh, to get it uh, adopted, government comes and says the Minister of Primary and Secondary Education will be appointing almost everyone uh, in the teacher professional council. We were saying we want to self-regulate as a profession. You are a lawyer, you know that. You self-regulate uh, as a profession. We want to be given a chance to self-regulate. We will be giving these conditions that your certificate 
uh, after three years, if you do not have any new qualification, you cease to be a teacher. Uh, we cease to recognize you as a teacher. There are incentives that we can give to teachers to develop themselves. They are there, but we, don't, we are not being given the chance by the government. So if we are going to uh, develop our teachers to be better professionals, we need the teacher professional council. But again, the P will speak to the promoting labor justice. Promoting labor justice begins with aligning our laws to the Constitution. If we have Section 65, uh, for example, Section 65.3, which then provides for the right to collective job actions. But we have uh, the Public Service Act, which criminalizes job, job actions. Mm. And it is still a law in Zimbabwe. Yeah. That is very unfortunate. And the government thinks uh, it saves their purpose. It thinks it's to their advantage. But no. The government is losing, the workers are losing. Yeah. Right now, why we have this unresolved impasse uh, is because we don't have space, one, to do our collective job actions and move on to do the collective bargaining. Yeah. If we had that space, you sit on the table, you sit in the collective bargaining chambers, you argue your case, you are asked to provide evidence, the employer says, we don't have such a money, we say you have the money. Then you ask, it's your duty to prove that they have the money. Mm -hmm. If you fail, if you lose the discourse, if you lose the debate, then at the end of the day, you make a compromise. You agree on something, you go back to the classroom. This is how uh, our workers keep on going to work. Yeah. They go to bargain, they lose, they go back. If yeah. they win, they win, they celebrate. Mm -hmm. But in our current context as teachers, as public sector workers, we do not have enough space to dialogue with our employer. But the employer expects us to respect employers like some Father Christmas of sort who announce that they are giving you uh, your bonus in US dollars. We never negotiated it, we, yeah. we, we never came through collective bargaining, so we don't even celebrate it. Mm. It was not product of negotiations. Uh, but then the T then speaks to uh, when we're saying this uh, technology and infrastructure investment. Uh, we need to be very, very deliberate uh, to say we have, how many schools do not have electricity? How long does it take? to have electricity in those schools. There should be a plan. And that's your plan should be begged by an education equalization fund. Mm -hmm. This is a fund which was proposed in 2000 by Ramasan. Mm -hmm. And said Zimbabwe, we, what, we need more schools, we need more infrastructure in our schools. But how do we get there? Let's have a fund set aside specifically for that to bridge the infrastructure deficits, to ensure that we, we, we have all schools connected to the internet. Mm -hmm. We have computers in all schools. We have running water, electricity, you name it. So we are a poor country, but we can't even show poverty and planning, at least plan, plans should be there. Let's agree that as a nation in the next 10 years, mm -hmm. we would have achieved this. How much do we need? We need, obviously, maybe uh, just throwing figures. We need 10 billion US dollars, yeah. let's say. So we need every year to raise 1 billion. Is it realistic? No, we can't raise 1 billion. So maybe let's shift it to 20 years, to 30 years to meet our targets. But how do we mobilize the resources? How much can we get from our mineral wealth? The percentage we collect from the mineral wealth is going to an education equalization fund. The percentage from tobacco, when we say our tobacco, this percentage is going to our education equalization fund. You will create these uh, revenue streams, they all feed into an equalization, equalization fund. People can see the vision yeah. and people can work toward the vision. Mm -hmm. What is the society going to contribute? Maybe one people, of course, in 1980, people were molding bricks for their schools. Mm -hmm. They were buying a lot of stuff for their own schools because there was an agenda, there was a plan. Mm -hmm. And right now, what we do not have outside resources is a plan. Yeah, uh, I like that, uh, the adapt and makes it this very simple like yeah. idea I, yeah. I understand like with policy and everything that takes a while mm. to put together but just a simple thing that's that's really yeah. great and so my final question would be how can citizens best support the union and 
yeah, the union moving forward. I think let's support the safe education campaign to begin with. Mm. The safe education campaign, with, uh, you, people should not underestimate even the power of social media. Mm. You saw the outcry when Net One, when Net One hiked tariffs, mm. uh, data tariffs, within a day they were forced to revise. Yeah. It should not only be a truth which is saying safe education, safe mm. education. Mm. The government can ignore was it's one voice which is saying, mm. let's say multiple voice. Yeah coming through demanding solutions uh, to the education sector. Secondly, uh, we are saying uh, citizens should also, uh, yeah, I know people are sufficient, but people, citizens uh, should also stop this, trying to find private solutions to the crisis. Let's have a collective solutions to mm. the crisis. Uh, the idea of trying to get one teacher, pay him, uh, pay the other teacher to teach your child, this and that, it's not sustainable mm. in the long term. Let's agree that we need a permanent solution. Mm. And the next day you're out of your job, you can't even afford to pay that teacher. Exactly. So your child is going to lose out. Mm. So at times we need to find permanent solutions and way to force our government to account. Mm. Uh, thirdly, we have been saying we have been creating a database of learners who have dropped out of school. Yes. The list is growing every day. We wanted to put faces to the statistics. Yeah. We now have over 4,000 of learners who are not in school because they can't afford fees, which is as little as $20 per term. Mm -hmm. They can't afford to buy school uniforms. Some have failed to register yeah. to write examinations. Mm -hmm. And we are saying, citizens, while we are pushing government to address, to give us long-term solutions, let's also try to help each other as a people. Uh, if we have 4,000 learners, we need assistance. If we can also mobilize a pool of resources directly towards those 4,000 learners, we have been identified. So our model, which we are using, is we marry the learner to the volunteer who wants to assist. So if a child says, uh, I want uh, fees for a year, I'm only left with four years to complete my education, uh, maybe I need up to 600 US dollars to complete education. Then what we simply do is to ask for citizens who is prepared to assist this particular child. Then that child is adopted. While we are working at the long-term solutions, let's also try to support each other as a people uh, and get those who are very vulnerable protected. Obert, thank you so much for making the time to feature on this platform. I really appreciate the information that you've shared and also sharing some of the personal experiences you've had. Um, I think truly, overall, what would drive this movement and I think drive just change in our country is everyone being passionate about wanting to see a better future, not just for ourselves in the interim, like right now, but um, for future generations as well. Um, Zimbabwe being a country that consistently boasts of its literacy rates, of how hardworking people are, I do believe right now all of that is at risk. And um, in the coming years, we're really truly gonna see the, I guess, social decay that's happened. Economically, the country is done. Like, it, there's not much here. But I think we're not truly seeing the worst effects of how the lack of access to education specifically, mm. people not being able to go to school, um, the worst of that is yet to really show itself. And hopefully um, with the efforts of Atrus, the efforts of everything, every, any um, human rights defender, all the organizations and activists actually putting in the work. Um, I'm just hopeful that that can be, we can really mitigate that and make it as less impactful as possible because it, it, it continues to be a concern, I'm sure. So yes, thank you so much. Thanks, Kim, for inviting me. Uh, thanks for the thought-provoking questions. I think it was a good uh, 
uh, interview where obviously at the end of the day we hope uh, that through the little information that we share we continue to raise consciousness from some of our citizens uh, and also continue to learn even when I was talking to you it was also a learning mm -hmm. uh, process I also get to and appreciate our work better than I did because at times if you are not asked the kind of work you are doing you don't really uh, put your mind to it at times exactly. you are just randomly just doing it so yeah. why do we then sit down and say apply your mind to see what is working and what is not working but great thanks for having me thank you so much so, and that is the episode. A huge, huge thank you once again to my guest, Obert, the head of the Amalgamated Rural Teachers Union of Zimbabwe, for joining us on this platform and sharing the experiences of teachers and the gross, gross, gross labor injustices that teachers face in this country, but also letting us as citizens know how best we can help organizations like Altruz and other human rights advocacy groups. And also just a personal thank you to Obert and all the other people who are in the front lines as activists fighting for all of our rights as people. I know protesting is a really dangerous activity in this country it is a it's dangerous to ask for the rights that are guaranteed to us in the constitution and you know the rights that we have as zimbabweans and i guess a lot of people experience in developing countries are really worth less than the paper they're written on because we don't have access to resources i think accessing resources is the only way in my, from my point of view, that we can truly realize human rights, being able to access healthcare, education, food, water, employment, and all of that is just, is that's, that's human rights. That is tangibly feeling your rights in action. And the fact that, you know, a large chunk of a generation of Zimbabwean have been, of Zimbabweans have been denied access to education, I, they've just been denied the access to have a fair shot, a fair chance at living a productive, prosperous and meaningful life. And after 42 years of independence, um, that's something I think we should constantly reflect on and constantly find ways that we can challenge without, of course, the unnecessary loss of life, but in the most effective way possible. And I do hope this episode has shed light on this. So I will link all the information about our truce where you can find them on social media and also contact them to find out how best you can support their efforts. And I guess as well as many of the other advocacy groups in Zimbabwe, we're just going to tag everybody actually in this one. We're going to tag them all. And of course, please do not forget to follow the podcast on social media at In This Economy Podcast on Instagram and follow me, your host, at Kimia Jek on Twitter. And as always, let's keep the conversation going. I love your engagement. I would love to hear from you. And yeah, let me know if there are other human rights groups you know about that, you know, aren't getting enough light in Zimbabwe, in your country, wherever you are. Let me know. I will share them. We can have an episode. We can give them the platform. This is what it is here for. So yeah, thank you so much. And I will catch you next week.